Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode twenty-one of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast for people who lead data science projects and teams. Everyone who has ever led data science projects or teams makes mistakes, especially when it comes to team communication. It is an important but difficult topic for doing great data science work in a business. But that is fine because it is through mistakes we learn and grow. In this episode, Nima and I share the top nine mistakes we made or came across, and give you some practical tools and tips to avoid them. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. This is Hao, and I'm Nima. All right, Nima. What are we going to talk about this time? This time we want to talk about team communication in data science. Typically, when people talk about communication, it's a lot focused on how to present your results, how to talk about your findings when you're communicating in data science. But in my experience of leading a team and also just working as a data scientist in a team, some of the biggest lessons, some of the biggest pains, came through mistakes in team communication. Or inefficiencies in communication. I think it would be very valuable in practice to focus on communication and do it better. And it's nice if this episode we spend a bit of time talking about these issues. Yeah, and I think what makes it extra difficult is that whenever there is a problem or issue in the team, most of the time, if something is not working in a team, everyone can feel it, right? So there's something there, but then it's very hard to put fingers to where it, it kind of works most of the time. But then sometimes it, you just got into moments where you can see from everyone's faces like, okay, this is not working for the team. My experience is that whenever this happens, you get ideas from people. You can do that in a brainstorming session, or you can do it in survey, or whatever way you like. Inevitably, you will end up grouping bunch of ideas into a heading of communication, and then whenever you ask people to vote for it, it's always the one that got the highest vote. But it also is the most kind of useless in the sense that if just naming something communication is too broad, it can mean anything. One can argue that everything the human does is communication, one way or another. Assuming you are doing something with other people, I think that's what it makes it extra difficult. Is that when you look into ideas or previous materials on where to improve, you tend to get very generic things. And I notice also in my experience working closely with data scientists and also data intensive application engineers, the specific important lessons I learned was not mentioned, at least not mentioned in the context of data intensive solutions anywhere. It is kind of a strange topic in some way. In practice, it's one of the most impactful activities that happen in a team. Communication can be the decisive factor sometimes for a project failing. Can be at least a very important factor for a lot of waste of time, leaving aside the frustration that can be caused in people. And that's maybe another dimension of communication which is difficult to capture and make concrete. The human side of thing is that there are definitely different levels of understanding, cognitive load, beside transfer of knowledge involved, but also There are people's feelings a lot of times underlined, and I think because of those factors, it remains a topic which is acknowledged but difficult to make very concrete. One reason could also be that it might be difficult to find very deep principles there to generalize into a broad set of situations. Like you mentioned, it's always coming up when you talk about points of improvement, but on the other hand, it might not be very trivial to generalize communication rules in many situations, and that might go back also to 
probably the mental model of looking at communication as a transaction, which involves, of course, the message you send, decoding and encoding from the sender to the receiver, but also has context and social impact and a lot more things impacting how effective your communication is, which makes it a rather wicked problem. Yeah. And also what is quite interesting is that we have seen cases where otherwise very strong communicators, more typically on the business side or the product side, when it comes to data intensive topics, that usually doesn't carry over easily. Could it be a mix of data-related talks requiring a level of precision? So terms that you use, for instance, suddenly become very precise. If you slightly move from saying this term instead of the other one, which is very close, suddenly you're making very big mistakes, potentially, technically. And that could be something that might be intimidating for people to talk more freely in a way. But I'm not sure if that's the only reason, to be honest. One thing that might be related to that is in a lot of organizations, data science are somehow a little bit isolated because also due to the how new the role is right we're, we're not saying that you know data scientists sit in their own room not talking to other people and uh, just you know work on their notebooks that's not what we are saying but compared to other type of roles there is less intense or in-depth conversation between data science and other type of roles one of the issue and we also mentioned before is the lack of a common language. So if you don't have a common language that both sides know how to use, then a communication already starts super, super difficult. I think this is why if you look at the like of McKinsey and others, they come up with the idea of analytics translator. The reasoning behind it is that, okay, we see communication problems in a lot of organizations between the business side and the product side versus the analytics or the data side. Communication is not working well we see one of the first obstacle is the lack of a common language. So then we basically need somebody to translate in between, just like somebody who would translate between English and Chinese or something like that. However, that somehow to me has always been a wrong mental image. Maybe to put it this way, I think when you are working on a data science project or data intensive application, the language spoken on the business side and the data side are not two super distinct stuff that mean exactly the same thing. Like you would have one word in English and another word in Chinese. Right? You can just find a direct translation and then everybody suddenly understand what each other are talking. It's not like that. A lot of times you are dealing with complex topics that manifest into different implications at the business level and also at the technology level. And I don't know how useful or how realistic it is even to expect somebody who can carry over, who can translate those things as much as you translate the Chinese word of pingua into an apple in English. <laughs> this solution might be missing part of the picture. When you talk about the translator, you're assuming the same set of objects in two places. But then in practice, it depends who you're translating for. If you're going to that extreme of data scientists don't need to speak the language of business and business doesn't need to speak the language of data science, I think then you're making another unicorn role here that is the unicorn translator who can know everything about data science and also know everything about any business, any part of the business, any person in the business. In my view, that seems like we might be pushing the problem just to another new role and not really dealing with it. So basically asking for new unicorns to exist. Somehow, intuitively, it seems wrong to me to follow the idea that if you guys cannot talk to each other, then the solution is that none of you learn how to talk to each other. 
So basically, I think it might be preventing or not encouraging or even discouraging empathy between people. And then by that, removing good opportunities for doing better work. We've talked about it so many times that it's really important that data scientists be able to connect their work to the business domain. And by introducing the translator in the middle, I think we're shifting a lot of mental load on a role that is just called the translators. Basically, that translator also needs to be the solution designer, also needs to be the leader that connects the right people together. And it seems to me just to reframe a lot of the problems and putting it in another box in a way. Yeah, I think that is very difficult. I came from a product management background. If you look at product management and project management, this is where nowadays in a lot of organizations where you have data scientists, maybe in data science teams or working cross-functional teams, these are the roles, project manager or product manager. These are the roles that the businesses expect to take on this translation role, to take on this grand designer. That got carried over from the traditional software product manager role. And we talked about this also before that because data science is somehow close to software engineering. So a lot of things got directly carried over. Now, there's something very fundamentally different there. And I think a lot of people miss that nowadays is that the role of a product manager in a software team is not a translator. Their role is to be the voice of the customer to make sure that whatever technology or whatever solution that the team is working on, we always have the voice of the customer. We always keep in mind who are we delivering these things for and why are we doing this and what are some of the considerations we should have with regard to these people. If you talk to really, really good product managers, that is one of the key value contribution they have. And that is very different from a technical analytics translation role. And the problem is that nowadays on the market, even quite reputable companies, quite well-known companies, they got this wrong. They are pushing this idea out that analytic translator is one of the sexy skills that a product manager can pick up and they should expect themselves to be able to speak the language of both sides and come up with a grand design. In our experience, we have seen that there's a very, very small amount of people who can actually manage to do this, even if they have spent in the past five years working directly with data scientists. And second is that it is a very tough job. Those people are typically working very, very hard and also sometimes unnecessarily. But then we talk too much about the communication between the business side and the data side. Let's focus on something more general, more on the problem-solving level and say, if we would give some advice to, say, somebody who newly starts leading a data science intensive project team or even a data scientist team, uh, what are some of the advice that we will give to them? We started the conversation by focusing on where a common language is difficult to find, for instance, between data science and business. But even if you're just working among data scientists or maybe data scientists and engineers who still have more of a technical understanding of each other's work, you run into a lot of communication problems. In any group of complete peers that are working together, you still run into communication problems. 
And in my experience, these problems actually are responsible for a lot of inefficiencies in projects, a lot of pain, a lot of frustrations in projects. And of course, they could also end in projects failing to deliver on their promise. If I want to share some of the lessons I learned, one of the first ones that also nobody teaches you is when to write things down and what channel for communication to use. In my work with my team, for instance, we end up discussing a lot of ideas. And especially I realized this is another point about communication, of course, that when time is short, when you have to kind of divide yourself among five different meetings and five different topics in a day, communication is one of those things that can easily get the shorter side of the stick, that can easily be undermined in your work. So a situation that I used to run into a lot was that between some other meetings, I enter a meeting with my team working on a data science topic. And then initially, typically, I hear what the team has done, and then we want to discuss the next step, either giving feedback or devising a solution for moving forward. I look at the clock and then there might be 20 minutes left in this meeting. So I really want to make sure that I provide useful feedback that the team ends up with a clear, concrete next step to follow in these 20 minutes as well. And it is in those situations where I think communication can easily become suboptimal. For instance, a common pattern is that we start discussing things, we're sitting around the table and discussing a topic. Sometimes we might go or not go to the whiteboard to make things more concrete. But then these discussions easily go from a starting point where we all understand to devising a new solution which introduces new ideas, new components, even new parts of an algorithm, for instance. A typical conversation is, okay, we have this component X, now we want to do this in a different way and add also a component Y. Once we get the result from both X and Y, we're going to aggregate them into a Z and so on and so forth. And typically in these situations, there's a point where the cognitive limit is reached. And it's very important to know where that point is. A picture that is in my head, especially initially when I was leading teams, but that still happens if I'm not aware of it, is that we start talking, somebody, let's say me or somebody else, is giving ideas, other people start writing notes about these ideas. So a big mistake you can make at that point is to assume that everything that is discussed is captured in those notes. And then at the end of the meeting, with somebody trying to rush to into another meeting, you also quickly check, uh, so is everything clear? Yes, everything's clear. I think we know what we need to do and we go on. You catch up maybe two days later and you might find out that there was a huge misunderstanding. Or actually, among the three things that we thought were the most important to do, only one has been really captured as important. Or the other way around. A lot of times, the things which were not very important were captured as the most important thing to be prioritized. So I think in those cases, it's very useful if you make sure you put things in writing. I know sometimes we have too much things in writing and that could become a burden as well. But when complex ideas need to be transferred, especially when plans need to be agreed on, it's a very trivial lesson, but it's very useful to put them in writing. Basically, the key is to let people agree on a shared common document or representation of that idea or that solution. I think there the most common way you see people doing this will be either a project manager or a team lead or the product manager trying to capture those things that we agreed on or the team agreed on and then put it in a user story or some kind of task in a task management system. And then at a certain point, people will just work on it and then get it over with. Yeah. If that is your team's way of working, 
sure, feel free to do it. Yeah. But then I think there are a lot of things that might not translate into a task. There are a lot of things that might not translate into a user story. It's more about, okay, how do we approach certain things? What is direction we are looking into? And especially when you are working on a fast moving project, it's actually pretty counterproductive. If you try to capture those things, translate that into some kind of user story, people look at the user story and which is usually quite different from what the original agreement was. So to me, how I address that, and you know me, I come from a product management background, but in the past three years, I haven't written any single user story. We have better ways to deal with that. The thing is that there's a much lighter way of doing it. And I actually didn't come up with it. it. came from a book, I forgot which one it is though, that talk about complex problem solving. So when you are solving a problem with a bunch of people who have all different perspectives on a topic that is only half understood, how do you make sure everyone is on the same picture? Sounds like a lot of the data science projects that we worked on. What I found as the most effective way is to have a shared display. So there's a very fancy way of saying, just write things down on the whiteboard. Whatever you talk about, whatever you agree on, put it on the whiteboard. It doesn't need to be things like, you know, detailed descriptions or whatever. But then, like you say, a mental representation of what we discuss. So in data science world, a lot of times, it can look like a table, right? To say, okay, now we have these factors and what we want to get to is these additional information. That's one way of doing it. Or it can be in the form of a diagram. You might be looking at a problem and say, okay, yeah, this data goes in here, it goes through this transformation and then it runs through this model and somewhere in between something doesn't work out. Let's start looking into first step here, second thing here. So you can quite easily capture a lot of things visually by just doodling stuff on a whiteboard. At the end of the meeting, what is very useful is you assume the full responsibility on your side and basically just test what you have in mind, whether that is the common understanding with everyone. So you say, okay, we have five more minutes. Let's check our common understanding. So you go through the whiteboard, you basically talk about what you think those things mean and check if that's how everybody understood it. And if that is the case, perfect. You take a picture of that whiteboard and you can send it around or just post it on your team Slack channel or whatever, and that will be good enough. Yeah, we had projects like this on fast moving projects with high complexity, lot of question marks, two, three team members working on different things all with different level of knowledge and expertise in their area. We manage to run at weekly updates. So once a week we meet and then we run through a meeting. We discuss things in such a way. We capture it in a picture and that project runs perfectly. One little trick that I learned there is it's even better if you don't summarize it yourself and just ask somebody else to try to summarize what is on the whiteboard. Because then there's no doubt that they understood it. That is even better. I think sometimes I'm just wearing the uh, Team Lee head a little bit too much. That I, I think that's a very good point. I'll try that next time. There's also another side to this. Getting things in writing is perfect. But then a writing channel could be also a pitfall. You showed me yourself a couple of times very effectively, that especially when the issue become complex or the issues become sensitive. For instance, personally sensitive or career-wise sensitive. It's so much more effective to take the conversation out of a written text channel and meet with people face to face. For the complex topics, of course, you need to still use some kind of written or diagrammatic representation. But then the feedback loop becomes much faster and the potential for misunderstandings also decreases a lot. And in sensitive topics,
topics, it's even more important. I think this is probably well known, but then you can easily forget it that you can easily get the wrong emotions and the wrong intentions when you're reading text that is personally important to you. And in those situations, just meeting with people face to face can have hugely different outcomes. Yeah, I think in written communication, what often happens are either of the two situations. One very common, you see two team members chatting over Slack with one sentence question and one sentence reply, and they have been chatting there for 15 minutes while they can just walk to each other's desk and quickly exchange that and get it done with, right? So that's why whenever we saw a situation like this, we tell the team members, uh, if it takes more than two rounds of exchange in Slack messages, just go talk to the other person. Because that usually indicates some kind of complexity and, or uncertainty in the topic being discussed and much better to talk about it in person. And then you have the opposite side of it, which is... There's a topic that is very important to you. I think all of us would have faced this at a certain point that there's something very important to you. You have a lot of things to share. You feel that the other person, if you don't explain all those things, the other person is not getting it. And then you start writing and you start writing basically a small essay. Then you are short on time. So you don't have time to make it more concise or make it shorter or even just distill the most important idea in it. So then you ended up sending a big wall of text to other people. Now, every time nowadays I see somebody coming with a wall of text, I very quickly scan through it and I always go to talk to that person directly because there is always more to what is written on that story. And there's usually more noise than signal in terms of how I can understand the challenge that person is facing, the situation that person is facing, and how well I can help that person to figure out a solution or help us to be on the same page, you would never get that full picture even if you read through the long wall of text for three, four times. Just go talk to the person whenever you see that coming. Yeah, I think that is very good advice in itself. Another problem I also see in communication I face a lot of times, which is unfortunately not solved by meeting in person or it's not that much different if you write it or say it in person, is considering your role in communication, which is the context of the communication, or clarifying what do you expect to be done with the information that you're transmitting. So for instance, as someone who's leading a data science team, I also end up a lot of times doing data science work with my team. As part of this, I can sometimes make requests to my team, defining tasks that the team needs to do. And sometimes I can be working together with the team and generating suggestions. One instance could be that a team member asked me for some feedback on their work. And while I'm considering them responsible for the final solution or free in their choices about how they want to shape the solution, I might put a data scientist hat on and then say, yeah, you know, we could maybe do this or that. And there have been a lot of times confusion in this where the team team member assume that I'm saying this as the team lead, you need to try this idea. It might again come across as trivial, but it makes a word of change if you can clarify what is the tone. So is it a request? Is it a suggestion? Is it a brainstorming idea? Or is this something you really need the team member to work on immediately? And for me, this has been one of the biggest lessons learned and still one of the points that if I'm not careful about, I can easily make mistakes and cause the wrong impression and my team members. I think this point is very relevant to a lot of people that are leading data science projects and teams because one way of looking at 
team lead's role or project lead's role is to say that, oh, you are just leading people, so you shouldn't get into the topics. And if that is the case, then you entirely avoid this problem, right? Because then you don't need to talk about the topics, you just talk about the people side. But in reality, especially where data science is now in most organizations, very rarely you have the luxury to do that, right? A lot of times, if someone is leading a data science project or team in a company, then that person at least wear two hats, right? One is the hat of typically a manager, right? So then, you know, what work needs to be done and what is good enough and stuff like that. And then the second hat is, like you mentioned, kind of like advisor and mentor role. And that, because how new the field is, and because you have relatively less people that are experienced in leading data science projects and teams. So then those people ended up having to wear those two hats. And therefore, it's super important that if you are in such a position, really keep that in mind. And like Nima mentioned, clarify your intention of certain communication or idea to your team. That's, that will be super helpful. As a small advice to data scientists working in teams as well, I think it would be really helpful if they could clarify what kind of feedback they're expecting. Sometimes it's difficult for me to realize that this person actually wants a decision to be made here versus the cases where this person is really looking just to brainstorm with another person in the team about the ideas or about the work that they're doing. And there it is very useful as a leader if you can quickly clarify what is the nature of the conversation that that you're having. I think the nature of conversation is super important to clarify. Also, there is a point about how you handle difficult conversations. I think how good you are in a certain skill or in a certain field really is in direct relation to how well you are able to handle difficult conversations. Yeah, in my case, this has been the most difficult to master or learn and where I made probably the biggest mistakes. Well, the biggest mistakes that I know of, to be honest. There are two cases which I realize I end up procrastinating in communication. Of course, as a bit of an introvert, I procrastinate on a lot of communications, but then more than the average case, I procrastinate on two types of communication. One is when I need to give negative feedback to my team especially. And I end up doing communication, but I think I tend to also linger too much on still trying to give constructive positive feedback and avoiding to give the negative feedback as it is as a negative feedback. This is a personal issue that I have to deal with, but I think it's also not very uncommon among other leaders. And it's important to get comfortable with it in my experience. The second case, which is also related to this, but also still difficult for me to handle, is to start an important conversation with someone that I don't like. And I don't mean that I don't like them on a personal level, but especially if I'm kind of upset with people at work because of the things they've done at work. For instance, because I know somebody played a rather dirty political move, somebody who is preventing my team from achieving a goal without any good reason and is causing a lot of frustration among my team members, demotivating the team hugely. These situations are my weak spot where communication is crucial to be made. And I also have a talent for finding reasons to procrastinate that kind of communication. We are all very good at rationalizing ourselves out of tough things to do. Although I agree with you that it's those moments, it's those situations where you will learn the most, both about your own communication effectiveness and also about the other side. One perspective I always have, and that is why I always claim that I can work with anyone, 
is that I always remember that no matter how we consider the other side of the conversation or the other side of the table, they have their equally valid perspective on saying the things they say. I think for data scientists and not to stereotype, but a lot of times it's also common to think that well they are just being irrational or they are not looking at the data. Well, it could also be that they come from a very different perspective. Now, and I saying that everybody is nice and everybody only have good intentions and always consider your position. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that if you keep in mind. The other side have their perspectives and try to understand that perspective. You might not need to agree with it, but try to understand that perspective. That always helps you to feel less intimidated going into such kind of conversations. It always helps you in the middle of the conversation when things get heated. Remind yourself that they have their perspective, and I seeing it. That's at least how I try to、uh, deal with those conversations. They can typically be big shifts of minds after you do these conversations, and that's at least the lesson I've learned time and time again. Yeah, I think because naturally, when you have clash of ideas, that just means that someone else's idea comes from a very different place from yours. You can always look at it as two things. One is that, well, that's just too far away, or doesn't make any sense. Or you can look at that from the perspective of what can I learn from this. Regardless how the conversation goes, you can get a lot of value out of it if you try to adopt the second mindset a bit more often. And also remember that as leaders, we have to do sometimes more difficult things. And thinking about the team, it becomes much more of a responsibility to go into difficult conversations. And for me, those are also very helpful in the sense that I'm not doing this for myself. You know, the team is doing good work, and we are aiming for something great. And there's this. Situation that if we don't address, then it can be perceived very differently, or the result can come out very differently. So therefore, usually you are the only one that can address those situations. If you are leading the project or leading the team, that's what people will be expecting of you, whether they say it or not. So having that in mind, maybe give you a little bit stress from time to time, but then it also pushes you to go beyond your comfort zone, and this is where your personal development happens as well. So I think we talk a lot about this communication topic, but then we barely scratch the surface of it. But instead of trying to make this a four-hour episode, let's just go to the key takeaway. So, what is one thing that our audience can take action on tomorrow, based on everything we discussed? From my side, it's kind of easy. I would suggest leaders to find the most difficult conversation they need to have. And make it a priority to do first thing on top of everything else that they have to do. From my experience, this has always made the biggest change and made the biggest impact in all the tasks that I had on my table. On my side, I would say next time you are in a conversation where you feel that I really don't agree with this, or I totally don't see the point of that, just take a very quick pause and ask yourself: Wait a minute, where else? Can that comment? Where else can that idea come from, other than what I was just assuming? Because it can come from a very different place. All right. So that's the end of this episode. Thank you for listening, and、uh, see you next time. See you next time. Just one last thing before you go: if you are not a data scientist yet but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills, and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are 
to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show/webinar. That is nds.show/webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Thank you.